Tonight's reading from the New Testament is Colossians 3, verses 15 to 17, and is found on page 2 of your bulletin. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this brother. Thank you for your call on his life. Thank you that you've brought him here. Thank you that you're using him for your glory to begin an important conversation on a very important topic of what it means to be a beautiful community that embodies Christ. And so, Lord, would you bless his work, and more importantly tonight, bless his uh, preaching that it might bear fruit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, about half of what Pastor Mike said is true. The other half you can uh, disregard. (laughs) Well, it's good to be with you all uh, tonight uh, to kind of wrap up this weekend. Uh, Lord willing, I will still have a voice through the entirety of uh, this message. But you heard our sermon text read into your hearing from Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 to 17, three uh, simple but powerful verses. And I want to speak to you tonight on the subject, gratitude is the attitude. Gratitude is the attitude. And here's the point of everything I'm going to say tonight. It is that we live with a daily gratitude to God as the peace of Christ rules over our hearts and as the word of Christ dwells in our hearts. That we live daily with a gratitude to God as the peace of Christ rules over our hearts and as the word of Christ dwells in our hearts. Would you... Take a moment with me and pray again as we seek God's blessing for this message. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name belongs the glory. And we say, as we sang already, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Father, tonight we want to taste and see that you're good. We want to, Lord God, hear from you. And so would you take these weak and unworthy efforts of mine in in your word and use them to bless your people. Uh, Meet us where we are and give us what we need, Lord God. If it's faith, would you give us faith? If it is hope, Lord, would you bless us to be a hopeful people? If it's mercy, Lord God, lavish us with your mercy. If it's encouragement, encourage us. If it is 
correction, Lord, in your grace, would you correct us? That we would be people who live for the glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. Let me uh, start off by telling you a brief story about a young African-American couple named Daryl and Joyce. These two live in a densely populated urban city in America. They are both musicians who met while they were attending a prestigious conservatory here in the U.S., And together they attend and they serve in the music ministry of an ethnically diverse church in their city. And I had the opportunity to interview this couple a couple of years ago. And this was a part of my research when I was working on my dissertation. And many of the interview questions that I asked were intended to provoke an an emotional and and a thoughtful response from people being interviewed, and one group of questions that continually produced this kind of emotional and thoughtful responses were these. I would ask, what does it feel like to be your ethnicity at your church? And I would be specific. If they were black, I would say, what does it feel like to be black at your church? How often do you think about your ethnicity at your church? And in what ways has that changed, if it has, since you began attending this church? And when I asked Daryl, what does it feel like to be black at your church? Here's what he said to me. He said, "Uh, I can't really be black at this church. And of course, I wanted to know what he meant by that. And I asked for more information. He He said this. He said, I mean... The things that I would do if I was in a more black setting, I can't do that here. I often suppress it, he said. If I want to worship God, I'm very expressive and I'm going to express it with my whole being. And the culture of of my church is, is pretty much the opposite. If they call me to play the organ, it's the Hammond B organ, but I'm not going to play it the way you would hear it in a black church. It's the same organ, he said, but it's going to be something they can relate to. And now he'd been a member of that church for for five years, and so obviously he stayed, even though things were were not as though he he completely wanted them to be, even though he felt as though he had to suppress a part of himself. Still, even now, a part of the music team and Asked, why is that? He said, well, I used to get upset that I have to suppress it. Over time, I've learned to see things from everyone's perspective. I've been learning over the years how to deny myself. He said, I hope that it can be the other way around, too, that they can deny themselves, too, and we can assimilate across the different cultures. And then his wife, Joyce, uh, added this. She said, I prefer to hear gospel music played. I prefer actually to play gospel music, and these things are, are fine to prefer. But really, she said, at the end of the day, my growth with Christ isn't based on my preferences. Actually, it's a stripping away of my preferences. We're supposed to be ministers of reconciliation, Daryl said, and we really need to see that in our city. What does it look like in practice to be a reconciled community? 
One of the things that has been explicitly clear if you have been paying attention to the events over the past few years in America, it's been explicitly clear that we don't live in a land where reconciliation is the norm. You might actually even be weary uh, by now of all of the, the talk and the issues surrounding the divisions along the lines of race and ethnicity and, and class in our, in our country. You might be angered and, and grieved over the evidence of this problem, the ongoing evidence that this is still a problem. When will it end? How will the strife be done away with, and we need to be perfectly clear that the only true and permanent reconciler is Jesus Christ, and what is absolutely necessary is for the members of Jesus' body, for his church, to be ministers of reconciliation. And that begins with his church living as reconciled community Should Daryl have had to feel as though he had to suppress part of his ethnic and and racial identity at his church? Well, probably not. Should the church have been aware of its preferences and how their African-American musician was was feeling and what he was experiencing? Yes, yes, they they should have been. But but Jesus is the reason that Daryl can say, I've been learning over the years how to deny myself. Jesus is the reason that his wife Joyce could say, my growth in Christ is not based on my preferences. And what is more, they had both grown in thankfulness to God for the community that he had placed them in, even though things were not the way they wanted them to be. Gratitude is the attitude that Jesus Christ creates in his people. When you were hearing those three verses read, did that resonate to to you? Did you notice that in those three verses, the tagline almost uh, like an an add-on at the end of each of those verses is, is thankfulness and gratitude. In this movement of gratitude in those three verses, we see peace, place, and practice. Gratitude in in peace or grateful in in peace, grateful in place, and, and grateful in practice. This chapter and this section of the letter to the Colossians is primarily about instructions on on how the church is supposed to live in light of what Jesus Christ has done for us. The first verse of Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says, Since therefore you were raised with Christ, seek things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on earthly things, because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Since, as one uh, commentator put it, since Jesus is the, the Father's right hand man, with all power and authority to affect God's will and to protect his own people, then the Christian life should be entirely oriented in reference to him. And later on, as he 
Paul goes on in the chapter, in the verses preceding our text. He, he says, this is what it looks like, Colossians. This is a life of, of putting off and, and putting on. He, he says to them in verse 5, put to death Therefore, what is earthly in you, because, because he says, you have put off the old self with its practices and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. Therefore, he says, put on as God's chosen ones who are holy and who are loved, put on tenderness, put on compassion, put on kindness, put on gentleness and humility and patience, forgiving one another. And then he says, and above all these things, put on love, which is the the binding glue of perfection. And this this life that he's talking about then is not simply about, about me or you as individuals. God is not simply interested in making a new me. He's interested in making a new we. And this Reconciled community in chapter 3 and verse 11, if you see that verse where Paul says, here, there, here, Colossians, in the church, there is not Greek and Jew, there is not circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. He said that because there in the Colossian church, there were Greeks and Jews, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, and they were called to live together. There to be putting on, uh, putting earthly things to death and, and putting on love together in all of their diversity. And this is absolutely clear in this first Point, grateful in peace, he says in verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. The desire for peace is not, is not new. The fact that in this world we are regularly confronted with violence and injustice and war and disruption and disharmony and division is nothing new. We long for peace, but the world has never known how to get it. This is in part because peace is not simply calmness. Peace is not simply uh, the absence of, of strife. We have seen protests in the past few years in this land, protests over over racial uh, uh, injustice, protests over the president, protests over over many, many things that people are grieved about. And and some of those have resulted in in violence and and arrest. But let me tell you, in every city where those protests took place, before the protests took place, those were not cities at peace. Outside of these, war, uh, these doors, these walls, there are no protests going on right now. But Washington, D.C. is not a city at peace. Because, again, peace is not just the absence of 
strife and hostility. No, when we are talking about the biblical sense of this word, it is the presence of something. It is the presence of of well-being. It is the presence of of wholeness and, and flourishing. It is all things working as they ought. And so here Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Uh, To be a Christian means to be at peace with God. Jesus Christ reconciles us to God. We are God's enemies. We are at war with God. That's a losing battle, but we don't care. That's how life is apart from faith in Jesus Christ. This is why the apostle says in the first chapter of this letter, verses 19 to 22, he says, For in him, that is, in Jesus Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, he said, who were once alien in, in his, uh, in, and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Jesus Christ is our peace. He's our only hope for peace with God. And what that means is that in Jesus Christ, we are restored to wholeness and to flourishing in our relationship with God. And so the apostle says, let the peace of Christ, the peace that Jesus Christ has established and brought you into, let that rule your hearts. The command is for something to be in charge. For something to rule and that something is not you. The subject of the command is the peace of Jesus Christ. To rule here has a sense of an, of an arbitrator or an, or an umpire like in, like in baseball. When there is tension and difficulty among you, the apostle is implying, Colossians, what is the determining factor in what you all say and what you all do? What's in the position of calling the balls and strikes in your decision making? What's in the position of saying, do this or, or, or don't do that? Uh, say this or don't say that? Is it your feelings? Are you driven by how you feel at the moment? Is it your likes and your dislikes? Are you driven by your preferences? Notice that it is not something that the Colossians are to they are, that they are not to, to make it happen, they're to let it happen. Paul doesn't say make the peace of Christ rule. It's to let the fact that if you are in Jesus, that you have been reconciled uh, uh, to God and have peace with God, let that be the ruling factor in your decision making. He says, Christians, don't get it twisted. You were, you were called to this in one body. You were called to this, Greeks and Jews, barbarians, Scythians, slaves, free people. You were called to this in one body. You didn't call yourselves into this life. God called you. God placed you in this one body. It's not even your body. It's the body of Christ. 
You've been called to a peaceful existence in the body that you're only a part of because God called you and placed you in it. Were it not for the blood of Jesus' cross, he is saying to them, you would have stayed apart because of your differences and your divisions. The pursuit of what makes for peace, the pursuit of what makes for peace only happens when we live in a position of gratitude for that peace. And when he says, and be thankful, it is not a throwaway line. He means, and keep on being thankful. Keep on being thankful for the peace that God has established between him and you and calls you to live in among one another. Keep on being thankful for the peace that Jesus Christ has made for you with God by the blood of his cross. And being gratefully uh, grateful in in peace is intimately tied to being grateful in, in place. And when I say in place, I'm talking about the same place that the apostle is talking about here in this text. He says in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell. That is, let it, let it live in you all richly in all wisdom as you teach and warn one another. He doesn't say let the word of Christ dwell uh, in your hearts, but that's what he means. He's still talking about what is at the center, what is at the center of our decision making and, uh, and our life together as followers of Jesus Christ. Notice he says, let it live in you all richly with all wisdom as you teach and warn or admonish each other singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude. With gratitude where, Paul? With gratitude in your hearts to God. The peace of Christ is the head honcho, the head decision maker in your hearts. And now he says, let the word of Christ, that's what's supposed to be flourishing there. Now when he says that, he's not simply talking about like memorizing scripture. And I'm all for memorizing scripture verses that you can apply to various situations, right? We are people of the book at this church, after all, aren't we? The Bible is our only rule for faith and practice, right? But the word of Christ here is related to the peace of Christ in verse number 15. I like how Wheaton College chaplain uh, Timothy Blackman described it when he preached on this verse uh, recently. He said it this way. He said, let the verbalized, vocalized announcement of God about what Jesus Christ is doing and who he is, let that be the influence of your control tower, the executive center of your being. Let it be the telling influence of everything you think and act and do. It is the living voice of Jesus Christ. The peace of Christ is ours because of the word of Christ. The word of Christ is, is God's declaration of who he is and what he's doing and, and why he's doing it. Let this word live among you all richly, he says. So don't just read your Bible, hear the voice of your Lord. 
Realize it's the living word of the living God and it shouts to us about God reconciling and renewing all things in Jesus Christ. And letting the word of God dwell richly in us is to, is to be done, he says, with all wisdom. When the peace of Christ is the decision maker and the word of Christ is flourishing among us, we engage each other with wisdom. We won't simply be walking around quoting Bible, Bible verses uh, to each other to correct one another or try to fix an issue. And so biblically speaking, wisdom is about more than knowledge. It is a skill to apply what we know in a way that enables Life, and particularly the life of others, to thrive. And Paul's doing something intentional here. He's doing something intentional here. Listen to what he said to them at the end of chapter 1 in verses 28 and 29 of this same letter. He says, Him we proclaim, Jesus Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ, he said, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. There he's talking about himself as an apostle. He says, I'm working hard to proclaim Jesus Christ to you all, warning and teaching you all with wisdom. The purpose is your maturity, your growth in Jesus Christ. And now when he gets to chapter 3, he says, this is not just for me to do for you, Colossians. It is for you all to do with and for one another. He uses the same words with all wisdom, teaching and warning each other. Don't only look to me. In other words, he's saying, don't only look to me as an apostle, apostle, Colossians, as the peace of Christ rules your hearts and the word of Christ is lavishly living among you. God will grant wisdom so that you can grow in maturity together. This dwelling of the word of Christ with Wisdom as you teach and warn each other. It actually happens when you come together for worship. It happens when we gather together here on a Sunday evening to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in our hearts to God. The teaching and warning happens when the body of Christ comes together for worship. Isn't it wonderful that he calls out our corporate singing together in particular as a way we let the word of Christ live richly in us as a way that we teach and warn one another. Like what do you think when you come to church and sing? Are you just imagining you and God on an island somewhere? Just the two of you and God ministering to you and you uh, envisioning God. Does it ever work into your praise to be thinking about the people around you? Does it work into your praise to be thinking about the people of God in, in whose midst you are? When we come... Together, we're able to help each other be grateful 
for the peace of Christ that's been given to us. We're able to help each other be grateful that we're called together in one body. We're able to help each other be grateful that God has opened up our ears to hear the word of Christ. We are to be grateful in the place that God has captured. We're to help each other be grateful in our hearts. And lastly, the apostle says, he commands us to be grateful in practice. He expands this attitude of gratitude to the entirety of our lives. He says, he just says, listen, and whatever you do, whatever you do in word or in deed, in word or in work, whatever you do, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The attitude of gratitude, in other words, is supposed to spill out of Sunday worship into everyday living. The rubber is to meet the road in in our daily lives. Just in case you thought there was an out clause, Paul says, let me just cover every possible situation and circumstance imaginable. Everything. <laughs> let me wrap this up with a, an example of what I think this kind of being grateful in practice uh, looks like. Recently, this is actually a couple years ago now, uh, I was blessed to hear, uh, hear a message from my friend and brother, Pastor Howard Brown, who pastors Christ Central Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, a PCA church congregation there. Back in 2016, you may remember, uh, there, was, uh, uh, there was another a killing of an unarmed African-American by law enforcement and there were protests and riots in that city and he had the opportunity to be interviewed on a local TV news program to discuss the racial issues, the issues of racial tensions in that city after it exploded in violence and protests. And the reporter said to him, he said, Pastor Brown... You have a very unique perspective in that you have police officers in your congregation, yet you also have congregants who are also very frustrated with the police. And Pastor Brown said, that's correct. He said, the work we do is the work of reconciliation. So we have an open and honest discussion, and we believe we serve a God and we have a gospel that can handle any kind of dispute with any kind of issue. And then the reporter said, but what is the challenge for people? Even more, even, he said, even people of faith is reconciling their spirituality with real life right now in which a lot of people feel disenfranchised and and feel like they're targeted being killed by faith. Pastor Brown said this, he said, what the community of faith needs to realize and communicate to people is this, you have a God who is highly concerned and upset at the oppression, 
He's highly concerned about the issues that people are going through, but he also recognizes that it is impossible for us to get the justice that our souls and our situations deserve. So he was willing to go to bat for us through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. And we believe that. The question we need to ask, he said, is there space and room, not, in the, not only in our churches, but in our gospel message for those folk who are in the street who are really hurting? And then he said this, the only difference between you and the folk who are running in the street is the degree of mercy and grace you've received that you fail to realize. You are no better, you are no moral, you are simply given a grace of God in a different situation that is not of your own doing. And what he's describing is what gratitude in practice looks like. Gratitude in practice, particularly when it gets rough around the edges, when when there are disputes that bubble over into tension and, and hostility is a recognition that I have been given a grace of God that is not of my own doing. And so it changes the way I even interact with those who are against me. That I have peace with God through Jesus Christ. This governs the realities of my life day in and day out. And notice with me again, please, that there is no escape clause. He's been giving them lists in this passage. I listed some of them earlier. And now he just says, listen, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything, everything, everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And we know, right? It's easy to give thanks to God the Father through Jesus Christ when things are going well. The challenge comes when we are dealing with difficulties and conflicts and tensions, yes, even within, and maybe even especially within the church. What do you do when things are not the way you want them to be? What do you do when your, the, the, the worship music is not quite up to your liking? What do you do when the life of the church is not in accordance with your preferences? What is your response on the inside? I know what mine typically is. And it's not always, thank you, Lord, for this difficulty. So I need the reminder. I need the reminder. That gratitude is the attitude that Jesus Christ creates in his people. And it's for this purpose being called together in one body. Again, Paul was very intentional. He didn't have to remind the Colossians that they were this mixed group of of Greeks and Jews, of people who were known as barbarians, as people who lived in the world as enslaved people and people who lived in the world as free people who were together in this one body. He didn't have to remind them of that, but he knew he needed to. 
Because in that kind of life with differences and backgrounds that, that where some are haves and some are have-nots in society, where some have privileges that others have no access to in society, and God says he, he puts you together in the same body and calls all of us to be thankful to him for it. As our life together causes us to change and shape and grow together and learn that we actually need one another. That it would actually be a problem if God gave you everything you wanted in the church. Be a problem. I'm still learning that my growth in Jesus Christ is not based on my preferences. It's based on God's call, his word, his will. Gratitude is the attitude that God calls us to. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful. We are thankful that it's your peace through Jesus Christ that rules our hearts. You've made peace with us, a people who are hostile and alienated from you. I pray, Lord God, that even tonight, particularly here in this church with these people gathered here, that you would bless this church to be growing in the flourishing of the peace of Christ and the word of Christ dwelling richly here, and that it would be a powerful witness to the power of your gospel through Jesus Christ our Lord. 